The ancient sex educators of the Old Testament taught the young about the realities of sexual behavior and proved how following the Creator's designed plans in this area made sense for your health and your happiness. It is time to get back to these values that have stood the test of centuries. So let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, as he reviews where we have been and introduces this special study titled, The Prevention and Cure for Sexual Sin. When we left uh, the study of Proverbs, we were studying about immorality's words. We were exposed to the smooth sales pitch that the seduction of sexual immorality throws at us. We looked at some of that seductive flattery. And then in chapter 7, we took our TV cameras, you might say, and went up close and personal and focused on uh, a real, just a straightforward seduction of a young man. And we saw the victim, the naive fool, who is open-minded, who is open to persuasion. We saw the huntress, which is the wild animal, you might say, this immoral individual that was going after this young, naive victim. We looked at her dress, her personality, and we looked very much at her proposition. And we tried to warn you about the proposition that it's a special holiday time. This is a time for exceptions. We looked at the appeal to pride. We studied together that the way to a man's heart and really the way to a woman's heart is not really through their stomach, but it's through an appeal to their ego, through an appeal to their pride. A time to be macho, thinking about the Latin concept of the macho man, and that's an appeal to pride. We looked at an appeal to passionate pleasure, the time for satin sheets and obsession, and we saw how God's word just lays out what the uh, boudoir looks like and what this, this sexually immoral person is trying to get this young man involved in. And then we looked at that horrible promise, which is one of the biggest lies that you could ever experience, and that is that we will not get caught. Nothing will ever happen. Now, I want to go on and develop from there the prevention of sexual immorality and the cure. Immorality is a drug. Immorality is a drug. Those under her influence believe the seductive flattery. They passionately feast on the intoxicating pleasure, and they believe that those who are trying to warn them against the fatal consequences are enemies. What I want you to realize is that if you're really under the drug of sexual immorality, I am confident that you will not hear what I'm saying. You are kind of like in a coma. And I deal with you very much the way I would someone that was in a coma because I'm not sure how much you can hear. When I go to the hospital and somebody is languishing away from me in a coma, I always talk to them as if they can hear, and I always talk to them as if there, there is a response, even though there's no outward response at all. There's no pressure on my hand. There's no uh, moving of the lips, because I don't know how far into that coma they are. Because if you're under this drug of sexual immorality, there are layers of how deep you're in that. If you're in real deep, you won't hear anything that I say. You might mock it a little bit. You might think it's really old-fashioned. But it's like you're in a coma and I'm not going to reach you. Now, I want you to know that I'll really pray for you, but I'm just stating realistically what I know from the Holy Word of God and what I also know from the reality of the experience of my own life. I know that if you're under this drug far enough, 
you're not going to hear. You're also going to think of me as your enemy. And you're going to think of brothers and sisters in Christ as your enemy. In fact, most of those that are thoroughly under this drug aren't here. That's why I want to talk to you about the prevention of sexual immorality because one of the very first things that you do when you come underneath this drug is you turn away from the fellowship of God's people. In fact, that's a good way to check on yourself and what you're beginning to respond to when you start to feel like, I really don't want to go this Sunday. I really don't want to hear God's word spoken. I don't really want to see one of the elders or deacons. That's a good sign that you're beginning to come underneath that seduction. The drug is beginning to take a hold. So watch out for that. But I want to talk to those that are here that are not completely under. Maybe you're fighting with it. And I don't want you to be discouraged if you're fighting with it. Because I think if we're honest from God's Word, God's Word presents the fact that almost everyone is wrestling with it. And so if you're fighting with it, I want you to learn how to prevent it. And I want myself to learn how to prevent it. And I also want us to learn, if we become deeply involved in it, how to be cured by it. Once under lust spell, right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. I know that some of you are in environments where sexual immorality is the accepted thing. You watch movies, you watch videos. Some of you kids during the summertime are watching hundreds upon hours of videos. Now, I'm not going to stomp all over you this morning about doing that. I'm going to tell you it's really not the greatest diet that you can have. I would want to challenge you, to, though, to think about what are these videos telling me? And I'm not saying that they're rankly immoral. What I'm more concerned about is not just the blatant thrust of sexual immorality at you. I'm much more concerned of the atmosphere of sexual immorality. The novelist or the filmmaker that just presents a story where he never tells you this is really a bad person, but really the star of the whole thing is immoral. They go to bed with people that don't belong to them. They go to bed with people that they're not married to. It's the accepted thing. In fact, to be honest with you, you live in a culture where it's told you again and again and again that it's right to go to bed with somebody before you get married. Just to be very honest with you, as I counsel in premarital counseling, a lot of couples, will, when I talk about sexual relationships, they act as if they're totally inexperienced. And they treat me like I'm like a dinosaur from another age. And they act as if, you know, I'm glad you're telling me all these things, but you don't know we've been sleeping together for more than a year. And the fake out is all on the preacher, the counselor that's trying to teach them about morality. And what I want to share with you is that the hurt is not that I feel antiquated or something like that. It's that I just know that a couple that's sleeping together before they get married that hasn't really come to grips with it. They haven't really acknowledged that they've hurt God by doing that. And the one that loves them more than anything, the one that wants them to have a happy life more than anything, is very displeased. And the reason he's displeased is that they're tearing up the program manual about the way things should be. What hurts me is that if we don't have honesty about these things, if we don't really face what's going on in our life, if we deceive and if we pretend then we're controlled by it. And there's an incredible thing, and I think when I tell it to you, you can all see it, but people that are involved in it don't see it at all. It's what makes you think if before marriage you can't control sexual passion. 
In other words, you can't control when you go to bed and when you do not. And will you go to bed with somebody that you have not made a lifelong commitment of marriage to? What makes you think that coming in front of this church and making a vow is going to change your ability to resist the passion of sexual desire? You see, that's one of the biggest mistakes it's made. Getting married doesn't remove the threat and the danger of sexual temptation. And I've seen it time and time again in my experience. Those that had trouble in high school that got involved with different people before they were married, it was the end thing, everybody was doing it. Those that went on to college even became a little bit more exclusive about it, but they did have relationships before they got married. When they get married... Things get along really well for a little period of time. But then there's somebody else at work or at school or maybe in the neighborhood. Maybe it's a neighbor's wife. Often it's a best friend's wife. Because that's where intimacy develops, you see, along the lines of companionship and friendship. And the seduction begins to pull again. Those same desires begin to pull. Those same drives, that same romantic dream-like atmosphere begin to take a hold and terrible things happen. And this time, in some way, it's more tragic because a home that gets broken up, there's little children that are involved, and that's what hurts me. The greatest hurt to me in the pastorate is to see the brokenness that immorality produces in families. If you're under the drug, right will become wrong, and wrong will become right. The beautiful present dream blots out lasting values, such as dependability, truthfulness, and self-control. And what we want to ask ourselves this morning is this. How can we prevent ourselves from falling prey, from becoming a victim to sexual immorality, which I have described as a pusher? And I want you to think about that imagery. I've described immorality as a drug I've described the seduction as being a pusher. And then if you are enslaved in it, I want to share with you today about how to get out. So let's deal, first of all, with the prevention of sexual immorality. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. You need to choose your sexual instructors carefully. Dr. Ruth is not your godly source of sexual information. The guys in the locker room, your junior high friends, your high school friends, your college friends, are not necessarily the wisest teachers about sexual immorality or sex in general. Choose your instructors carefully. And the writer in Proverbs chapter 5, this daddy begins, my son, pay attention to my, my words of wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. Why? that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. I want to begin by pointing out to every one of you daddies in this audience, every single daddy in this audience has a very important responsibility to join with the father in Proverbs and teach your children wise words of skill in the sexual area. And that's why it's so hard for you to talk about it. That's why it's so hard for you to be close to your sons, close to your daughters, so that you can talk to them about this area. It's very, 
very important. Daddies, for you to join with this father. The father in Proverbs is the initial prominent teacher of sexual relationships. And the school can never take over for that. I can never take over for that. In fact, I want every one of you to realize that you as fathers have the dominant human influence on the value system of your children. Now, not that they're going to buy it, not that they're going to listen, but from a human perspective, God has chosen you fathers to be the dominant source of values, either good or evil, in your children's life. And I trust that the children that are here, if you have a godly daddy who's trying to talk to you, who's trying to share with you, listen. Please listen to those words of discernment. Underscore this in your minds. Turn to chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. The father shares again, My son, keep your father's authoritative commands. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. You girls aren't off the hook either. Sons need to learn about a woman's approach to sexuality and vice versa. So you moms are intimately involved. The son is told not to forsake his mother's teaching. They are told to bind them upon their hearts continually. Fasten them around their necks. When you walk, they will guide you. When they sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. In other words, our children shouldn't walk out into the environment of life in a vacuum. They should walk out with a dad and mom who's really taught them about this area. Turn to chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to skillful living, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsman or your close family's relative. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. Once again, the father begins every one of these training sessions by saying, son, please listen. Now, I want to caution you about a few things that I think dads often do. Our role as fathers during the week is not the role that I'm playing. It's not the preacher's role. I think something that turns kids off more than anything else is when we as parents shift into what I call the preachy mode. Daddies love to be preachers. And so what they do is they say they get exercise. Some of you daddies hear what I'm saying today. And so at 2 o'clock this afternoon, right before your son or your daughter want to go out and go fishing or to play ball or something, you decide that it's time for 45 minutes of sexual training. And you get your podium out, you put your Bible up on the podium, your kids sit in orderly rows in front of you, and you begin. And you give them lecture number 46, sexual purity. And it sounds very much, you know, like a very eloquent preacher. It's preacher mode 47. And then you come and tell me that your kids don't respond to it. The truth of the matter is you don't respond to it either. I try to work very hard to get out of the classic preacher mode. Because most of us are turned off by it. And the reason we're turned off by it is because the whole pattern is it's a long auditorium. The preacher is high exalted above everybody else. 
He never uses the collective pronouns we and our. It's always you, you, you. And whenever we hear you, 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 we either get mad or we feel guilty and neither one of them really produce good benefits in our life. Now, what is this father doing? He's not a preacher. The wise man has a completely different stance. The wise man usually is rather quiet. He's the kind of a father that takes his kids fishing and listens. And often listens hard when they're driving in their truck on the way to the fishing hole. And they listen to conversations the kids are having. And it's on the grass after they've maybe been fishing for a couple hours and the kids are kind of relaxing and the kids start to talk that the father might share, you know, when I was your age, I felt so and so and so and so. And I didn't know so and so and so and so. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. And you know what's really amazing is that I found out since then that God's word has a lot to say about that. And the father begins to share. The father might even share to his 13-year-old son, son, I want to share with you about a struggle that began in my life about the time that I was 13. And suddenly I realized that there were other beings on the planet called girls. And suddenly I felt tremendous urges inside of me and I really wanted to have some of those beautiful objects. And I began to hear guys in the locker room talking about this. And I began to really feel these pulls. And son, this is how I dealt with it. And this is what I learned from God's word about dealing with it. That's a totally different way of seeking to help people and to guide them. Now some of you that are daddies, I want to share one other thing before I move away from this idea of choose your sexual instructors carefully. Some of you fathers and mothers are not sharing because of a bad news past. You're like David. David blew it with his kids because he committed sexual immorality with Bathsheba. He blew it completely. He never could share with Absalom about sexual relationships. He never could deal with Amnon when he raped his sister Tamar. David was a passive daddy when it came to instructing his children about sexual immorality because he had become involved in it. And that's exactly what some of you are doing. You're allowing Satan to sit on your lap and not share with your children because you're saying in your heart, how can I share anything about that area? And what I want you to realize is that if you put your past under the blood of Christ... If you have come to the cross and you've allowed Christ to forgive it, you have become a cleansed, pure person again. And because of that confidence that you have not in your past, not in your purity throughout your own whole life, but the purity that you found in Christ, you need to share. You need to share not only with your own kids, you need to share with young people's groups and things like that that the Lord gives you opportunities. Because unless you and I as believers get in there and start instructing, somebody else is. And I want you as moms and dads to really think hard about that. Are you paralyzed in your ability to talk to your children about sexual purity because of a guilty conscience from the past? And if you've brought your past to the cross of Calvary, then the guilty conscience is wrong. It's a sack of weights that you're carrying on your shoulders that you need to get off. And then I want to challenge every one of the kids. As you grow older, never listen to teachers naively. Always ask yourself, 
Is this teacher that's teaching me about sexual relationships biblical? Are they Christ-like? Are they godly? Are they telling me the truth? Choose your sexual instructors carefully. Second of all, recognize that it begins with an idea. Turn to chapter 6, verse 25. The father tells his son in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. Don't lust in your heart. Now, this word lust is a word that means a conceived desire. And what it's saying in every one of our hearts as men and women is we go out into this week, we're going to be given various sexual stimuli. You guys are going to be working in an office and suddenly a beautiful saleswoman will come walking in and she's dressed to kill and she looks just like a beautiful movie actress and a thought just hits your mind and you just shake your head and you go, man, where did that ever come from? That's not sin. Now it happens because you're part of a sinful race and we're part of the sons of Adam and we have an old nature so that those ideas, there's a lot of ideas that come into your mind. In fact, you can have some of the most unbelievably vicious and mean and angry kind of ideas, not only sexual ideas. That idea that comes into your mind is not sin in itself. And I've stressed that with you before, but I want to underline it again because some of you are defeated when the battle is just getting started. Because you say, man, I had that idea. I must not be a born-again believer. A man of God would never have that idea. So you quit. And Satan's totally deceived you. Having the idea is not lust in itself. It's not sinful. It's when you allow that idea to begin to germinate in your mind. When you begin to think about it, when you begin to make decisions inside your heart about what you're going to do about it, and when you look a second time, and when you look at the magazine again, as girls, let me talk to the, the girls' side, your temptation doesn't come nearly as much through that visual contact. Your problem will come, there's a guy that maybe... Um, Maybe you meet him on a vacation. Maybe he's a real close friend. He's the husband of your best friend. And that husband is, is very gentle. And he's very sympathetic. And maybe, you know, you've been married for about 15 years and your husband is deaf. He never hears what you say. And you start going through on walks during this vacation. And uh, this other husband just is so empathetic and he understands you, and he begins to share about problems that he's having with your best friend. In other words, he begins to share about problems that he's having in his marriage. And as a woman, you start to share about problems you're having in your marriage. And here you are, two people, a man and a woman with problems in their marriage, and suddenly there is an ear for you girls, totally different than your husband. Man, he's not deaf. And he begins to share with you, girls, watch out. Because that's where you're incredibly vulnerable. You see, when that guy starts to share and you begin to feel needed, and you begin to feel like somebody really needs you and cares about you, and the big exciting words, they really understand you, then you're starting to take the drug. And when you girls allow that idea 
to begin to germinate. And then there will be thoughts and you will have desires for that other person. That's when you're not guarding your heart. What Proverbs is telling us is that it begins with an idea. You don't just jump in bed with somebody that doesn't belong to you. That's not really the way it works. Hardly ever. I'm not going to ever say never. But that's usually not the way immorality works. It begins with an idea. It begins with a heart that begins to, to walk into forbidden areas. And so I say to every one of you, guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Guard your heart, from it are the wellsprings of life. My own heart needs to be riveted and centralized and focused on the wife that the Lord gave me. And that's where happiness is. That's where truthfulness is. That's where dependability is. That's ultimately where a lifelong joy and fulfillment is. There's another side of me that doesn't believe that. And there's another side of you that doesn't believe that. There's another side that always wants to taste forbidden fruit. So you have the same thing. And always that weirdo idea that stolen bread will be sweeter. And if I don't guard my heart today, then I can tear up what's the most valuable thing in my whole life on this planet. Dave will continue this discussion of the biblical preventatives and cure for sexual immorality next week. And until then, we want to challenge you to be careful not to tear up the most valuable thing in your life for a few moments of illicit pleasure.